Good evening, and we are glad that you are tuning in with us here on this Sunday evening. Uh, it's not the way we wanted to have church this weekend, but we are trying to be as cautious as we can. The road in front of the church is extremely slick, and uh, there's more snow and things coming, so uh, we pray that you're well. Um, if you do need something, milk or bread or things like that, please let us know. We would Love to be able to help you any way that we can. And if you are a first-time guest watching our service, either intentionally or by accident, we want to welcome you uh, to our service tonight. Let us know that you're watching. Uh, for you regular 10-milers and faithful watchers, we would love to hear prayer requests or comments from you as well tonight. And as we started back last week, we're going through the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, and last night we looked at Jesus' teaching on uh, adultery, remarriage, uh, sexual sin, things like that. And we need to be reminded that Jesus is teaching the heart behind the law. You see, Jesus is talking to religious people who outwardly talked about the law, outwardly lived the law, but their hearts and behind closed doors were extremely wicked. If you've ever been around a kid and uh, they're fighting over a toy, um, if you ever make a decision, like you give that toy back to your sibling or your friend and they'll shove it to them like this, <clears throat> you know that in their heart they don't want to give that toy back. They are doing it because you're standing there. There's a fear of punishment. Same thing in, um, in our lives as adults. You have probably made this statement. Well, I guess if I have to, I will. You see, the heart is not behind enjoying what you are getting ready to do. And what Jesus is teaching about in the book of Matthew chapter 5 is the heart behind why we do what we do. And so we have to remember that in the context and in the day that he is teaching these things, he is trying to get the maximum amount of, of, of truth in a simple way that they understand. Because the Lord knew their heart. And today I don't know your heart, only you and the Lord do. Tonight, I really want to challenge you to let God evaluate us. If I was titling this sermon, it would be let God evaluate us or letting God evaluate us. And I know that's a scary thought. I know when I go to the doctor, I'm going to hear a couple different things every time I go. One, Jake, you need to lose weight. Jake, you need to eat healthy. Jake, you need to get more sleep. You need to drink more water. I know they're going to tell me that every single time. And so I don't like to go. But I need to hear that. It's like when we take our children to the dentist. They'll ask them that question. Are you brushing your teeth? Are you flossing? Yes, they, they are asking these questions for them to evaluate and to answer. And today, tonight as we go through these, I want you to be thinking about letting God evaluate you and I. Because if we're not willing to let God evaluate us, we're never going to see the need 
to turn to Him, to be more like Him, to love Him, and to see what God wants to do in your life and in mine. And so tonight, if you would, pray with me. Father, we thank you so very, very much for this opportunity to come together, to, 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 to hear your word, to just be fed, Lord. And so I pray that you would speak through your messenger, a sinful and wicked man, Lord, but yet Jesus would be glorified and your people would be changed by the power of your word and the power of your spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we start in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be talking about how Jesus wants us to be truthful. A child of God should be truthful. Look what it says here in verses 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely and shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by the head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no. For whatever is more than this is from the evil one. You see, the Lord tells us that our hearts and the motives behind what we should do should be truthful. You see, in this context, what had happened was, in the Old Testament, numerous places... Uh, the book of Leviticus chapter 19, Numbers chapter 30, Deuteronomy chapter 5, it was shown that there were some things that you were expected to do, expected to give the tithe, expected to do these things. But if you wanted to and felt the Lord's leadership, you could make a vow, like in the book of Acts. Not everyone was forced by God to sell all their property and give it to the church. But yet the Lord laid it on their heart. They made a vow to do that. And they were supposed to do it. What had happened is the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders, they liked to make promises. But then when they realized it would cost them something, they used technicalities to get out of it. So they had formed a system of, I'm going to swear by earth. I'm going to swear on my life. I'm going to swear by heaven. And each of those was more serious. And so, as long as you just swore on yourself and you broke that promise, it wasn't a big deal. But Jesus is not teaching that it's wrong to, to make a vow, like I'm going to make a vow to love my wife, till death do us part, through sickness and through health. What he is saying is here... I should not be looking for ways to not be truthful. Now, he's not saying here that you and I won't make mistakes. All of us are going to tell a lie. All of us are going to get confused from time to time under pressure and maybe, maybe not be as bold as we should. He's not talking about that. He's talking about a lifestyle and a pattern that is constantly looking to break our word when it costs us something. Always willing to, to give up our integrity when it's for personal gain. But what he says here is don't be like that. Be a person of truthfulness. 
be a person of integrity and be so that when you say yes, it is yes. When you say no, it is no. And that is how you live your life. But if God lays it on your heart that I vow it, that I'm going to, to fast and pray this week, there's nothing sinful about that. It is when you use those vows to get out of being the truthful Christ-following person that God wants you to be. I mean, the Bible tells us that the devil is the father of lies and that Jesus is the way, the life, and the truth. So as a follower of Christ, even though I might not always be able to be truthful, I might have things that happen in my life, I am to be a person pursuing a life of truthfulness. A life of truthfulness at home, a life of truthfulness at work, a life of truthfulness at church. It should define who I am. And when I am not able to keep a commitment or to commit and, and, and because of circumstances out of my control, I am to apologize. I am to ask for forgiveness. And I am to be known as a person when, unless I am providentially hindered, unless God keeps me from accomplishing something, I am to fulfill those commitments. Just imagine how different our world would be. Not if no one ever told a lie, because we all do. We all stumble, we all sin. But just imagine if the people that you employed as a business owner worked as hard as they promised to when you hired them. Just imagine how many homes would be different if people kept the vows they made at their wedding ceremony. Just imagine how much different our country would be if politicians kept their word when they got to their elected offices in Springfield or in Washington. Just imagine the difference we would have as a society if the people of God loved God and were truthful in their ways. That doesn't mean you're always going to know the truth. You'll be faced with situations in your life when you'll have this bit of information and this bit of information, this source compared to this source, and you have to make a decision. That's not what he's talking about here. He is talking about don't use the Word of God, to twist it, to get away with being dishonest. The second thing that Jesus teaches us here should be a reflection of Him in us is not just truthfulness, but to be merciful. To be truthful and to be merciful. It goes on here in verses 38 and says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You see, this is important because this has been a verse that, that people have used to, to do all kinds of things. But what he's teaching about here is retaliation. He is teaching about retaliating to someone who has 
hurt us. Someone who has attacked us. And in our day and age, we do not understand the way the legal system would have been set up in the early days of our Lord. You, today we see constant lawsuits about everything. You're probably familiar with the young lady who put Gorilla Glue in her hair and is now wanting to sue Gorilla Glue because of the tragedy that she ensuingly faced. But yet it clearly teaches on the package, don't let it get on you. It's tough stuff. It's rough stuff. But yet, we call it ambulance chasing today. Always looking for a lawsuit. Always looking for a quick payday. But in Jesus' day and age, it wouldn't have been that way. And so legally, they could take you to court for your piece of clothing. But they weren't allowed to take the other piece because without it, you would be totally bare, unprotected. And so the law protected that article of clothing for your well-being. But what Jesus says is, if you are hurt, if you are wronged, you ought to be able to forgive even more than what the law requires. That's his teaching here. He is not teaching that you should just allow robbers to come into your home and steal everything you have. He's not teaching us here when he talks about the other cheek that, he, that you should stand by and watch your wife and children assaulted and murdered in front of you. He's not teaching here that, that, that you should give away every possession that you own and then not feed your own family. He's talking about specifically when you have been wronged. And everything in you wants to retaliate. They talked bad about me. I'll talk bad about them. <laughs> they hurt my children and spoke falsely about them. I'll speak falsely about them. They, they, they ruined that marriage. I'll ruin theirs. <coughs> they cheated me in business. I'll cheat them in business. That's the context that he is speaking to. And what he says is, in the heart of a Christian, there's no place for that. It'd be like turning the other cheek when someone slapped you. It's like giving up more than what is required of you in court. And it is like giving something when someone asks. You see, the Bible says that we are to forgive. The Bible tells us that we are to be generous givers. The Bible tells us that we are to be lovers not of violence. And so he teaches us this principle here that the heart behind why you were doing what you were doing is what mattered. Oh, you might not ever say what you feel about that person that hurt you, but if it's still in your heart, friends, you're wrong. You're not where God wants you to be. You see, you might not have ever spoke a bad word about them, but if it's in your heart, Jesus is saying you're guilty. And in our lives, all of us, if we're honest tonight, and let God evaluate us, have been there before. But we have to remember the example of our Lord, who had never sinned, but yet they falsely accused Him. Who had never been violent or hurt or, or, or uh, uh, offended anyone truly, 
but yet they lied about him, spit on him, struck him. He had never done physical harm and sinfulness towards someone yet, but they put him on the cross and crucified him. He was guilty in our place, but yet did not say a word. The Bible says he was as a lamb led to the slaughter. Philippians 2 said he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but yet take on our flesh and sin. You see, that's the heart behind how we love those who hurt us. Not retaliation, but mercy. Because we have been shown great mercy by God. That He died for us while we were sinners. And we are to love people with that heart. And so as the children of God, we are to be truthful. We are to be merciful. But third, and finally today, we are to be loving. We are to be loving. You say, Jake, that's not hard. I love my wife. I love my children. I love my parents. I love my grandchildren. I I love the people that love me. But Jesus is teaching us the heart behind loving people is not dependent on those who are receiving our love. Loving people in a Christian context is an overflow of the love that God has for us. Listen to what it says in verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you have loved those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you have greed your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You see, back in the book of Leviticus, it says, love your neighbor. But we don't see this commandment to hate your enemy in the Old Testament. And so apparently some people between the Old Testament writing and the days of Jesus had added that to that statement. Love those who love you and hate those who hate you. But Jesus says, not only are we to love them, we are to want what is best for our enemy. You see, I think all of us can say we love our enemies, but wanting what is best for them is hard. Wanting what is best for a family that has hurt you is challenging. Wanting what is best for people gives us this idea in our mind that they win. But listen to what Jesus teaches us here. He says, not only are we to love them, we're to bless those who curse you, to do good to those who hurt you, and to pray for those. 
and pray for those who persecute and use you. You see, he builds on this idea of we love them in our heart. (laughs) We do good to them when we have the opportunity. We don't avoid helping them because of their hurt toward us. We don't avoid them and hide from them because of what they've done to us. But see, you can love someone in your heart and say it at least. But it gets really hard to love someone in your heart and say you love them and then avoid them. But I think it's clear and evident. It's clear and evident that you cannot pray for people lovingly without God first changing your heart. And the reason is this. Prayer is the most intimate, special time that we have with God. And if you don't know what I'm talking about tonight, it's because you're not praying. You're not really praying. Prayer is something that is special. It is something that God gives us the privilege to approach His throne, the Bible says. To make requests and to hear from Him. It's like a little child who comes to their father and that specialness of it. The prayer clause that Jesus talked about of going alone is is special. And there's something about being alone with God. If you've ever really been alone with God is this. He is light. And His light will shine into every area of your heart. Every area of your speech. And He will point out those hidden things that you don't want to be shown. And what you need to understand tonight is this. When you're taking someone to the throne of God in prayer. And your heart's not in it. Your heart's a different way. God's going to show you. God's going to show you. You see, when you pray for that individual that lied about you, God begins to change your heart. It might not change theirs, but it changes yours. When, when God lays it on your heart to pray for that ex-spouse of yours who cheated on you, it might not change them, but it'll change you. You might not want to pray for that person who's bullied you in school. And it might not change them, but it'll change you. Because I believe it is like this. When you pray for people who don't deserve it, you and and I are reminded of what God did for us. You see, we didn't earn His love. We didn't deserve His love at salvation. And we don't earn His love and we don't deserve His love every day when He keeps us saved. And so what He says here is, if you want to be perfect, which we're not perfect in the sense of sinless, but if you want to really reflect the love of God to lost and hurting people, to broken people, to stubborn people, you can't just do it when they're nice to them. Because if that's the case, Jesus would have never loved us if he was waiting on us to love him. The Bible says he first loved us. 
And so tonight, if you, if you really want to be used by God to love your enemies, to love those people who are far from God, to love those people that the world has given up on, you're going to have to be willing to not only love them in your words, but love them in your deeds and love them with your heart when you go before the throne of God and he searches you. You see, tonight God's not, God's not interested in big buildings. God's not interested in fancy clothes. God's not interested in you strolling down some church aisle, sitting on the front row where everyone can see you. Jesus looked at those religious hypocrites and said, you whitewashed tombs. You are beautiful on the outside, but you are dead on the inside. Friends, you can buy, drive by beautiful churches all over this country, and they are dead on the inside. Friends, you can drive by beautiful homes, and those marriages are dead on the inside of those four walls. And you can make yourself look good, sound good, and smell good on the outside. Strut into every church service that they are is. And be dead on the inside. And tonight I want to challenge you to really know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life. That you've repented, called upon his name, and been saved. And tonight, are you willing to let him evaluate your life, your heart, how you treat your enemies, how you think of them, how you speak of them? Because if you're really his, it's going to overflow unlike anything the world's ever seen. Tonight, I'll be honest with you. I struggle with this. I struggle with it. Probably more than anything. I don't struggle with what the world does. And how they treat me. I expect lost people to lie. And to steal. And connive. But when you see it in the church. It just almost rips your heart out. Because when we love God. And love each other. We know that it is the farthest thing. From reflecting the Savior that loves us. And died for us. And changed us. If there's one place. Where people who don't agree can love each other. It should be the church. If there's one place where. When one person sins and hurts someone else. That we're willing to ask for forgiveness. And forgive. If there's one place. Where we are to put aside our preferences, our feelings, our desires to love and accommodate God and those weaker brethren. It's here. The church. But oh, how many times have I been guilty and you been guilty of being exactly the opposite of this perfect love. That God wants us to show. And so tonight. No matter where you've been. Or what you've done. God first loved you. And tonight it doesn't matter. If you've been a saved uh, Christian. For 50 years. Been in church members. A deacon. A pastor. If in your heart tonight. There's that unforgiveness. That, that bitterness. 
Let God have it tonight. Because as I can tell you from first-hand experience, it'll eat you alive. It'll rob you of your joy. It'll rob you of your peace. It'll rob you of, your, of, the, of the, the privilege and blessing of, of relationships. Give it to Jesus. And if you'll give it to him, he can do amazing things. Pray with me tonight. Father, we thank you so very, very much for your love and mercy and grace toward us. I pray tonight, Lord, for the individual watching this that doesn't know you, doesn't have this peace and joy and love that we've talked about. Father, convict them, save them, change them. Father, to the Christian watching tonight, Lord, that's overwhelmed by sin and bitterness and unforgiveness, Lord, tonight, convict them, show them what they need to do to be right with you and others. And finally, Lord, we thank you again for the wonderful privilege to spend a few minutes together studying your word, learning about who you are, and how much you care for each and every one of us. And I ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.